I um, wanted to start today by sharing something quite special with you, special to me at least. I have here two books uh, written by my two grandfathers. So this one was written by my pop, that's my dad's dad, and this one was written by grandpa, that's mum's dad, and uh, these are their memoirs, their life stories. Both men had incredible lives, both men grew up during the Depression, They both served in the Second World War. Both were married and had families of their own. Both travelled extensively around the world. And both of them, near the end of their life, felt compelled to write down um, their life story. And I'm really glad they did that. And I think at least part of the reason they did that was just to pass on to us, their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, some of the stories and the joys and the experiences they had in life. But I also suspect another part of the reason they wrote all that stuff down was to pass on to us some of the lessons they learned in life, some of the things they thought were really important for us to know and understand as we negotiated life. Now, the reason I mention that is because in Daniel chapter 4, we basically have King Nebuchadnezzar's memoirs. This chapter is the last time that Nebuchadnezzar will appear in the book of Daniel, And so it could be that by this stage he was getting near the end of his life. And so like my pop and like my grandpa, he decided to write a letter outlining the big lessons that he'd learned in his life. So have a look at verse 1. It says this. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. So this is a letter written by King Nebuchadnezzar. And did you notice who he sent it to? It says it was sent to the peoples, nations and men of every language who live in all the world. So this letter is for everyone on earth. And what's it about? We'll have a look at verse 2. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. So this letter is all about what God has done in Nebuchadnezzar's life. It's kind of like his testimony. In this letter, Nebuchadnezzar is going to write about what God has done in his life and what he's learned about God as a result of that. And what he's learned about God, it's a kind of universal, timeless truth that's true for generation after generation. Have a look at verse 3. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders... His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned about God and that he wrote down in this letter, it's an important lesson for Nebuchadnezzar, but not just for him. It's an important lesson for everyone on earth in every generation. And that includes us. So what did Nebuchadnezzar learn about God? What's the life lesson that he wants to pass on? Well, as we read our way through the letter this morning, we're going to see this one idea popping up a number of times. And the idea is this. God is the ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. God is the sovereign ruler over all other kingdoms and authorities. And actually that's wonderfully good news for us. Because we live in a world, don't we, where all sorts of people are in authority. Some are good and some are bad. 
But knowing that God is in charge of them all, that gives us a great sense of calm and confidence and assurance. So let's have a look at Nebuchadnezzar's letter. After the introduction, those first couple of verses where it tells us who it's from and who it's to, the main bit of the letter starts by telling us about a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and it's a frightening dream. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So Nebuchadnezzar tells us that he had a frightening dream. And just like he did back in chapter 2, he summons all the wise men, the magicians and enchanters and astrologers and those guys, to tell him what the dream means. But none of them can. And so eventually Daniel turns up and Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream. And basically this is what he says, right? This is the dream. See if you can picture it in your mind. Uh, In his dream there was a great big tree, an enormous tree, and it was so big that its top touched the sky. And no matter where you were on the earth, you could see the tree. That's how big it was. And its leaves were beautiful and its fruit was abundant and all kinds of animals came to find shelter under the tree and all the birds roosted in the branches and all the animals and all the birds, they got their food from the big tree. Now, can you picture the dream so far? It's a pretty good picture. And then what happened next in Nebuchadnezzar's dream was that he saw a messenger coming from heaven and the messenger called out with a loud voice and he gave instructions to chase away the animals and the birds, to rip off the fruit from the tree and to scatter it all over the ground, to strip off the leaves from the branches, to cut off the branches until all that was left was a stump bound up with iron and bronze with its roots in the ground. Now, can you picture the dream now? But there's more. The messenger goes on speaking and he tells us what will happen to the stump. And it's really weird. Have a look, halfway through verse 15. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Now, that is weird. I mean, in one sense, we've gone from talking about a tree stump to now calling it a him. That's weird. And then this tree stump, he's going to get wet from the dew and he's going to think like an animal and he's going to live like an animal until seven times have passed. It's weird stuff, right? I wonder what it all means. Well, we're going to have to wait for a bit to find out because the messenger has more to say But fortunately, what he says next makes a whole lot more sense. In the next verse, verse 17, the messenger tells us why this dream was given to Nebuchadnezzar. So have a look, verse 17. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that, you ready? This is why the dream was given to Nebuchadnezzar. So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes, and sets over them the lowliest of men. So, see what this dream's all about? This dream was given to Nebuchadnezzar so that the living might know that God is the ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. Now, the obvious question I reckon is, how on earth does this dream about a tree that gets cut down to leave a stump, how does that show us that God is in charge of human kingdoms? 
Well, to answer that, we'll have to keep reading. Because what happens next in the chapter, uh, in the letter, sorry, is that Daniel interprets the dream. And basically what he says is that the big tree in the dream, that represents Nebuchadnezzar. So have a look at verse 22. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. So you see, the big tree in the first part of the dream, it represents Nebuchadnezzar's great power and prosperity. But remember what happened to the tree in the second part of the dream? Daniel says that'll happen to Nebuchadnezzar as well. Verse 25. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And then look at what Daniel says next. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. See that? There's that idea again, right? That God is in control of kingdoms. Daniel says that the great and powerful and prosperous King Nebuchadnezzar will be brought down to think like an animal to live like an animal, to eat like an animal, until such a time as he acknowledges that God is in charge of human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. And Daniel goes on to say that when Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that God rules, well then God will give him back his authority and his kingdom. That's why in the dream the stump had its roots in the ground. Have a look at verse 26. Daniel says the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. So no wonder Nebuchadnezzar was frightened by this dream because it was a warning to him that if he doesn't acknowledge that God is in control, then his kingdom will be taken away from him because God is in control. He's in control of kingdoms and he gives them to whoever he wants. And he also takes them away. And that's exactly what happens. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't heed the warning and so God fulfills the dream. Verse 28. All of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Now, can you see his mistake there? Instead of acknowledging that God is in control, instead of acknowledging that his kingdom and his authority and his splendor has been given to him by God, Nebuchadnezzar honours himself. And he glories and delights in what he has built by his mighty power. And so, verse 31, these words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You will be driven away from your people and you will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. So God says that because, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, sorry, because of Nebuchadnezzar's pride, because of his failure to acknowledge God, God will take away Nebuchadnezzar's royal authority and he'll be humbled. And then God reminds Nebuchadnezzar of what he needs to do to put an end to his humiliation. Verse 32. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men 
and gives them to anyone he wishes. There's that idea again, right? The big idea of this chapter. Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation will only end when he acknowledges that God is in control of kingdoms and gives them to anyone he wants. Verse 33. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people, and he ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. What God said would happen, it happened. The dream was fulfilled. Eventually, though, after seven long years, Nebuchadnezzar finally acknowledged God. Here's what he says happened, verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar looked to God. He acknowledged that God is in charge and so God gave him back his sanity. And where Nebuchadnezzar had honoured himself just a few verses earlier, he now goes on to honour and glorify God. Verse 34. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. Now, it's easy to kind of read over those and skim over them, but those are incredible words there. On the lips of the great pagan king Nebuchadnezzar, He acknowledges that God is the sovereign ruler of the world. He says that God does whatever he wants. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and with the peoples of the earth. And look, just in case we still haven't got the point yet, God goes on to show his sovereign rule over the kingdoms and authority by giving back to Nebuchadnezzar, by restoring to him his honour and his splendour and his kingdom. Look at verse 36. Nebuchadnezzar said... At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me. God gave it back to him. My advisers and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. So, Nebuchadnezzar wrote this letter to tell us about what God had done in his life. And what God had done in his life was this. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a kingdom and great power and authority and prosperity. But because of Nebuchadnezzar's pride, God took it all away. But when Nebuchadnezzar eventually turned to God and acknowledged that God is in charge, God gave it all back. He restored it. All of which goes to show that God really is the sovereign ruler of the world. He is in charge of human kingdoms. He gives them to whoever he chooses. And that was a really, really important lesson for King Nebuchadnezzar to learn. And it was also a really important thing for the people of Israel to be reminded of. Because remember, here in Daniel, they are in exile in Babylon. They have been defeated by their enemies. They are out of the promised land. But even there, in exile, God is caring for them. Even there, God is in control. And in particular, he is directly in control of the pagan kings who are exercising authority over them. And so being reminded of God's sovereign rule 
It was good news for the people of Israel. But remember, the lesson in this letter is for everyone on earth in all generations. And so God's sovereign rule is wonderfully good news for us as well. One reason God's sovereign rule is good news for us is because of who God chooses to give authority to. You only have to read a little bit into the New Testament, don't you? And it becomes pretty obvious who God has put in charge. It's Jesus. We've already been thinking about this this morning in the kids' talks and in the prayer and other things. God has given all authority in heaven and on earth to Jesus. Jesus is the Christ, God's chosen king. And that means Jesus is the capital K king, the king of all kings, the ruler of all other rulers, the Lord of lords. And Jesus' reign, his rule, his authority, it will never end. It will last forever and ever and ever and ever. And Jesus' kingdom will never be conquered. It will never be defeated. It will never be destroyed. It will endure from generation to generation. And that is incredibly good news for us. Because Jesus is an incredibly good king. He exercises power and authority in the way that all rulers should. By only ever doing what's best for his people. Our King Jesus only ever does what's best for us. Jesus is the sort of king that we can willingly and gladly bow before. And so it's really, really good news that God has put him in charge and has given him all authority in heaven and on earth. A second reason why God's sovereign rule is good news for us is that in our world there are lots of Little K kings with little K kingdoms. There's the Australian government and our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. There are big world superpowers like the United States and their President, Donald Trump. There are rising superpowers flexing their muscles like China. There's kind of rogue powers or rogue kingdoms like Kim Jong-un in North Korea. But here's the thing. All of those kingdoms... All of those authorities have been put there by God and he is in charge of the lot. So you might feel frustrated when our government doesn't follow through on its promises. You might feel angry or sad when world leaders tweet ridiculous comments. You might feel uneasy by uh, regimes like North Korea. You might feel scared and worried and frightened by the rising power and influence of nations like China. If you feel at all like that, then the encouragement from Daniel 4 is to rest on God's sovereign control of the kingdoms of the earth and to feel the comfort and security and assurance that comes from knowing that God is in complete control. He is in charge. And here's one final reason why God's sovereign rule is good news for us. All those little K kingdoms of the earth, they will come and they will go. We've seen that in Daniel, haven't we? Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire, they've risen to immense power and influence. But in just two chapters' time, they'll be defeated. They'll be gone, never to be heard from again. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go because of God's sovereign rule. He gives and he takes away. Now, on one hand, that leads to a whole bunch of uncertainty and confusion. But God's kingdom, 
it lasts forever. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar said when he was praising God at the end of his letter? Have a look again at verse 34. He said, God's dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. When Daniel was there in Babylon in 500 and something BC, God was in charge. Now, today, what is it, the 4th of August 2019, generations and generations and generations later, guess what? God is still in charge. And when we're all gone and our children are gone, and our grandchildren are gone, and our great-grandchildren are gone, and generations and generations and generations have passed, God will still be in charge. Because like Nebuchadnezzar said, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And so because we know that God is the sovereign ruler, we have a message of surety and certainty and stability that our world really, really needs to hear. Because we live in incredibly uncertain times. You're never sure what the financial markets or the interest rates are going to do. You can hardly even be sure here in Australia who's going to be in government next week. You turn on the news and it's full of terror attacks and riots and people starving and stories about Islam spreading all around the world and people doing horrible, horrible things to each other. And in the midst of all that, we have a message that cuts through the confusion. We have a message of surety and certainty and stability. A message that really is worth sharing with our workmates and our neighbours and our families. Because we know that God really is the sovereign ruler of the world. And his rule will never end. It endures from generation to generation. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this letter that King Nebuchadnezzar wrote. We're not really sure where he ended up at the end of his life. Uh, Often he seemed to acknowledge you uh, at one moment and then go back to pride and idolatry the next. But thanks for the clarity in this letter that he has written about the way that you've worked in his life uh, to show him and to show us that you really are the sovereign ruler of the world. And in particular, you're in control of kingdoms and kings and you give authority to whoever you choose. And we're really, really thankful that you've given all authority and power to Jesus, that he's our king and that he's a good king who always does what's best for us. And so thank you that we can trust him and gladly bow before him. And thanks too for the comfort uh, of knowing that you're in charge, the comfort that that brings to, to our world because there's lots of people in authority in our world. Some of them are good, lots are good, but some of them are really bad. And so it's comforting to know that you are in charge of the lot and that you have a plan. And it's especially comforting to know that your rule is unchanging, it is unconquerable, that you will rule from now into eternity. And so thank you for the surety and the comfort and the certainty that that brings to us. And we would ask that you would give us boldness to share that comfort comfort and that surety with the people around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.